Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. But this little dink ball, the only one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? No, really. Yeah, I'm not being asked to do a whole pile. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I coffee, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs> so what he Graham, um, Lee... We probably should have paused. It's not like we were on live radio the last day. We probably should have just paused the podcast, looked up Waddy Graham and had it exactly right. That would be probably cheating a little bit. He assembled 5,000 South Derry men in Mahara in 1798 for a rising. After the rising failed, he tried to make his way to the USA, but he spent his last night in Slocknail. He was obviously caught in Slocknail, hanged and beheaded after the capture. So... I think we need to apologise to all our Republican listeners for not knowing who uh, Watty Graham was. I, I, I'm putting the blame on you, Lee. Yeah, I definitely would have came across a lot better if we hadn't known that. Or if we could have just paused the paused the podcast, I could have done a quick Google and then came back looking like a historian. <laughs> At least our listeners know that we're very authentic in that way and that uh, I don't know that much. But just on, Glenn, very quickly, um, I interviewed Connor Glass during the week and he just told me this brilliant story of Malachi O'Rourke. Um, so their last training session on the Saturday night before the match, they did a very light session, lots of stretching, very technical, but it was very tense, as you can imagine, you know, the whole weight of the town on their shoulders yeah. before this really big game. And just as they were about to leave, Malachi O'Rourke called them all back and he said, lads, there's over a, a billion people in China who don't give a fuck about Gaelic football. And then he left it at that. <laughs> and they all just walked out. That's all he um, said. Just to say, yeah, that's all he said on it. So it's just to be like, you know, there's more important things than football. Don't worry about it. Go out and do your thing. And that's what they did. Yeah. Good few Irish bars now in China, I'm sure, um, would have a huge interest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start causing uh, an issue with that. That's a good one, though, isn't it? Like, Jermaine, just take the pressure off them. Again, a little bit of sports psychology from Maliki uh, there. This isn't the most important thing um, in the whole world. Um, Kilmacook Croaks versus Nafina Nile is the first match uh, we want to look at this weekend this is an RTE on Saturday night I hadn't realised Nafina won four minors in a row and then three under 21s after they're really the up and coming team um, and then when they finished winning their minors Kilmacook Croaks took over and won three in a row right up until 20, uh, 18, 19, 20 
Um, so this really, like, while it might look, Kilmacud obviously are there, thereabouts every year, and Afina are like, where do these come from? And Liam Rush transferred to them this year, which I was seeing Liam Rush there going, this is a head, Liam Rush and Afina aren't a fit there. What's happening here? Yeah, well, he's obviously a, a huge, a huge addition to Nafina, and he's obviously made a, a big difference this year in that the first year he's he's arrived, he's brought them to their first ever um, Dublin Senior Hurling final, like and. Uh, yeah, like Liam Rush is a St. Pat's Palmerstown. That's his club. And I think it was 2019, they were relegated from senior B down to intermediate. Like Liam Rush has been playing with them since, I think it was, he was on the team when he was like 17. And I was reading this morning. I would was, have said younger now, he, going by the size of Liam He Lehmann. was on their under 21 team when he was only 14. Like Now so, you're getting there, yeah. And they won a senior B in 2008. But he's he's living up in um, around Glasnevin there now and obviously made the transfer. Like you probably couldn't, accuse him of glory hunting when they were never um, in a Dublin senior final before. Ah, wait now, four minors in a row, three under-21s. If you're picking a team to maybe, right, you know what, I'll go transfer to them, I'll get them over the line. Yeah, you like... Think ma- this, you think a, a potential county title was not in Liam Rush's mind at all? This was just a, a completely um, separate transfer to any any medals? Yeah, well, in fairness, maybe he did see uh, a few of the young lads coming <laughs> up as well and... Uh, but I suppose when he is, like it's uh, yeah, it's not too far. Like it's, I think it's twenty five. Like it's maybe the traffic in Dublin. I don't know. It's hard. These transfers, you nearly need to know more of what's happened inside to know to to really comment on them. Like, but um, I suppose you would wonder, like, would it mean as much to him if he won with Nafina as if he won with St Pat's Palmerstown? Like, do you know, it's just. Oh, well, uh, the answer to that is no. Yeah, so. that's a very easy answer. I'm not. I'm holding my hands. Up. I'm not one to judge a man for leaving his home club to transfer <laughs> um, to another club. I do find it strange, though, Lee. Um, when your club's 20 minutes up the road like I mean there's, there's, there's a transfer system in Dublin and I'll never really understand it because there's no parish boundaries between the clubs like the, the, every year there's almost like a transfer market and like genuine conversations within clubs who have they got who did they get in and like I mean mm. this is the conversation I never understand it like I mean I did leave Portleash to go to Parnells I would never leave Portleash to go to another club in Leash when I came back from or when I left what was it? Oh yeah, when I fell out with Port Leash that time, loads of clubs in Leash asked me to transfer. You just couldn't do it. I, I can't comprehend inter-county club transfers. Yeah, it is a tough one to get the head around. I mean, they should do like a, a soccer Saturday thing in Dublin every summer, you know, before <laughs> they find out all the latest transfers and the latest gossip and stuff. But um, no, there's some there's some outrageous ones. It doesn't happen too often up here in the North either. You have to, quite often what people do, they move to like a city club up here for one year to get out of their home county because then if you've got an address up here you can force that um uh that transfer through and then you can move back to whatever it is whatever club you want to maybe the more successful one in your own county there's some high profile ones i mean like the most shocking one probably thrown in recent years was paul donahue because he was an eden dork man that's a massive one yeah. Dork, yeah all the way through his, his career and then he left and went to uh dungan and clark's which when I say it's a stone throw away, I mean that's that's even too far. Like it's, they're they're right next door to each other, and they are huge, huge rivals. And then he goes there and he wins the the championship with them. So we're no stranger to it up here either. But it's it's a hard one to get the head around. Yeah, I was up in Eden Dark, obviously before the All Ireland final. I was saying on the show, they're still not over that. That transfer caused a lot of like you're talking just in the road into Dungannon and to be big rivals. Although there were like people were telling me, Paul Donahue wouldn't have been massively highly rated in in Eden Dark. It's just he he really came into his own that year. Um, Dungannon um, won it who oh yeah Kilmacook Crokes we were running down Kilmacook Crokes have to hold our hands up uh, Brian Sheehy 
he's a dual player. So he's under hurling team. Um, he's a Dublin under 21. Um, he, they, they reached the Leinster under 21 final last year. He's a sub on the football team. He's still a dual player. So Kilmico Croaks have a dual player. Donald Ryan is Nafina's dual player. We've mentioned him on the show before now. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I, I don't know, could you call them a dual club when it's only one player? It's maybe a... See, I don't know. Dual clubs always used to be dual clubs. The Lockmore Castellani uh, type of dual club mm. where you have a whole load of dual players. If you don't have dual players, can you be called a dual club? You're just a club that has a hurling and football team. Uh, do we have to change what a dual club is here? Yeah, like maybe it's like a semi-dual club or a... Semi-dual. <laughs> maybe that one will catch on. Yeah, I but, don't um, know. No, it, sh- it definitely should be a good final. Like it's Nafina's first one and you talked about the underage success that they've had and like they've got... They're a, very, they're a young enough team like and a lot of those young lads, like they've been on Dublin minor under 21 teams like Paul O'Dea, AJ Murphy. I've heard a few lads up in... D- a few of these lads up in DCU like and... They were always um, very, you know, very good players, and I'm, I'm, I'd say I was surprised to learn that it was Nafina's first. I'd say everyone was nearly surprised to learn that that this is going to be their first uh, Dublin Senior Hurling final. But like they have been building, and these young players are very good. Like Colin Curry and there's Curry brothers playing for them as well, and they're meant to be sort of the main main men alongside Donald Burke, and. Then sure, Kilmacud, sure, we, we were watching them against Kula, like Ronan Hayes and Alex Constantine are the main men. And I was just listening to a man from Nafina, a Feeney man, who was, he was one of the main men in sort of getting the hurling going in Nafina. And he was saying he'd be slightly worried about their full back line coming up against Constantine and Ronan Hayes for Kilmacud. So maybe right. that's something to watch out for. Right, keep your eye out for that. It's on uh, RT on, on Saturday night. We'll talk to Niall Corcoran a little bit, who's coming up in part two. He's games development officer. He's obviously coached with Wexford and was coached with Leash. But he's Games Development Officer in Kilmaco Croke, so we might chat a little bit to him about that as well. Cora Finn versus Mount Bellew, my lock. I've seen enough of Cora Finn, lads. I'm going to watch Port Leash beat Port Harrington on Sunday. This is clashing with Port Leash, the Leash County final. We'll get on to that um, in a little while. I've seen loads of Cora Finn. Um, they obviously knocked off their, their perch last year, um, Lee. Mount Bellew, my lock. They nearly always beat them. They, they can be close games. Be interesting to see Mount Bellew my lock because they went very very defensive against Corrafin hadn't hadn't really got them over the line so we're kind of they ended up beating Corrafin last year and then couldn't seal the deal in the final so it'll be interesting to see and listen I'm just not going to watch it but I'm sure it's the it's still a very it's still a very attractive game um, for television yeah no definitely I mean uh, Corrafin I think are, they're obviously going to be the favourites I think they're still the defending All-Ireland champions because it wasn't played last year um, going into this game, I think they played in finals before in 2015, 17 and 18, I think. And Corfin have always got the, the upper hand in them games. Yeah. But as you already mentioned, they, they won last year in the semi-final and then lost in, in the final. But like they have a couple of reasons to be going into this game feeling very confident in fairness. I mean, because in that semi-final game last year... They got uh, goals, Corfin I think, be, didn't they? Yeah, that's it. And, and I think they'll be missing a few players too from that last game. Um, Colin Brady, Michael Farragher, uh, Gary Sice and Kieran McGrath are all unlikely to be playing, although Ian Burke should be back, which is obviously going to be a plus. Um, Mount Bellia as well, they had like a much harder route to the final. You know, they had to play Moy Cullen, who, who won it last year, to get there, while Corfin had something of an easier route to play in the, the maybe known weaker teams or whatever. Um, and we've seen, you know, that sort of being battle-hardened. We've seen the benefits of that on the county scene with the likes of Tyrone, you know, going through Ulster compared to Mayo's Connacht and uh, Kerry's Monster. You know, it's nothing to be 
uh, laughed at. You know, it definitely it definitely has its pluses. It builds confidence and it builds momentum. And then more than that too, it's just the year of the underdog, isn't it? Like, maybe this is the year to get over the line. Um, like you look at Nice, St. Unions, Glen. Uh, I don't know what it is if it's the split season or something, but teams are are coming out of the woodworks and, and finally getting over that line. Yeah, no, they definitely are. And Mount Bellew, my luck, from memory, from reading the match reports last year, to beat Currafin with goals and they had ripped up their really defensive strategy and kind of went for it a little bit more. So that's something to look out for. It could be a good, uh, a good entertaining game, um, potentially, on television. That's at half one. And that Ballyhill... Oh, Lachlan Gales did mess with my Sunday dinner. Half one is a big difference to two. The dessert is definitely messed with when it comes to these half one in games. My house, in my house, the dinner will be on the table at half twelve. At half twelve? Yeah, I suppose that's sort of a farming tradition though, isn't, isn't it? it? Half yeah. twelve? Yeah, well, sure, when you're up at half six in the morning making the cows, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, you have to get the energy back in. Lockmore Castellini is the big one in Tipperary. If the whole country isn't rooting for Lockmore Castellini, when, think back to last year's county final, heartbreaking. Noel McGrath, John McGrath, tears flowing down their faces after, and then they lose the football as well. And now they're back into the hurling as well again this year and in the football. Um, they're playing the big town team. Um, and you'd imagine the whole of Tipperary must be shouting for Lockmore Castellina here now. Oh, I'd say it'd have to be, yeah. Like, uh, just, I was only listening to that game, the, the football final last year. I was only listening to it on the radio, but like... Lockmore, they were there, thereabouts, and to lose again, I think it was it was a fortnight after losing the hurling, and your heart just like your heart went out to them really. Like to to lose one county final is bad enough to lose two in the space of two weeks. Like it's just um, geez, it's hard to even imagine that kind of kind of heartbreak. But I was listening to the interview with Frankie McGrath. He's their manager after they beat Mile Rovers last weekend in the football semi final, and he said it with such passion. He said, "We're back, and we're back on the double," and like. It's just the the great spirit that's in that club that's brought them back. Like as the, it's definitely a dual club. There's twelve players starting between both teams and more lads coming on as well. I think nearly if you if you're not playing dual in Lockmore, like most lads are. are, are I playing think it's only the goalies. And there's a there's a lad corner forward. He's a brilliant footballer. I think he's actually their free taker. I don't think he plays hurling. Connor Ryan is his name. Well, what does but, he do um, in the village when the hurling matches all? Like, how did this happen? He must be just kicking football by himself or something. I don't know. But um, he's just got no one to play with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, Growing um, up, he just didn't do anything those Sundays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but um, fair, like fair, like it's un- it's unbelievable, isn't it? That they've that come is. back again. Like fifth, they've played. 15 weekends in a row now since they they played the first round of the Hurling the mid-championship against J.K. Brackens that was back in August and to be back again now and like listen it's it's not going to be easy to win either final because they're going to be underdogs in both of them like Turles will be favourites for this Hurling final on Sunday and probably rightly so because of the the young players that kind of Paddy Creedon and Dara Stakelham they were brilliant in the semi-final they're both of them only 19 and they just have added something to Turles that they haven't had in the last few years. And I was reading on the Nina Gargin there during the week. Nobody in living memory could remember Lockmore beating Turles in Semple Stadium. So oh, no. it's going to be uh, it's going to take something special. But who else? Like it, it would take Lockmore to do it. Like you know this team that yeah. they have now has to be done first. Like it's amazing that twelve starters um, are back after the heartbreak of losing both and they're back in both again this year. Like, I mean, it's an amazing club and playing 15 weekends in a row. This is the thing with Lee I always find interesting is, you know, what do players at Intercount... Like, we're talking about championship structures, right? 
and you're talking about what do players want and how are we build players want less training and more games and if you're if you're a dual player you do nothing only play games and you do very little training why is the dual player not the most attractive thing to be i've hear anecdotally even in my own club young players choosing one or the other at 13, 14 years of age. I don't know why they're doing that. Are they looking at Kieran Kilkenny having made a choice and they think that's what they need to do? Who knows? Dual life is the best life. If Now, obviously, you're not forcing people to play football if they love hurling and they don't like football or vice versa. But if you like both, the only advice would be play both. It's the best thing you'll ever do because you'll never be training. You'll always be playing matches. Yeah, no, that's it. And, and in terms of in terms of that underage question, like where you're 13 and you have to pick a question or you have to pick a, a code that you want to go for, maybe the issue is that, like I know when you're 14 and you're really, really good, you're playing for your team. Uh, you're fo- say you're really good at football, you're playing for your, your team uh, under 14s, you're playing for your school at under 14s. You're also maybe playing for the year group above you uh, in school and the age group above you in your club and then you're maybe playing county on one of them development panels as well. And that's all just the one sport. So that's maybe what pulls them away from it, the different commitments elsewhere in the one sport and they feel like they have to choose one. But in terms of what you're saying, it's like everyone wants to play matches. They don't want to do training. and uh, That is the life of, of, of a dual player. But I think we sort of oversimplicate it sometimes in that it's just a choice, just play both. But like maybe there's players in that and like the Crokes team or whatever that, that love her and yeah. just maybe not good enough to make that team, you know, and, and they, could, they can't get onto the panel, you know, and then... Um, and it's, it's maybe as simple as that, like, because that would be very much the case uh, with our club. And obviously at a, at a much lower scale, but we'd have players who play for the first uh, in the football team and they play maybe the reserves hurling team. And that's how they get their fix there or play for the first hurling in the reserves uh, football. Yeah, because they find that, you know, committing and whatever else to get, to get on to both sides is, is quite difficult. But if, if you're good at both, uh, you should pursue both. Definitely. Yeah, no, I do take the point that it's a very busy uh, life at underage level for a dual player. I suppose that's where management come in and you train even less. You know, your life just revolves around playing games. Maybe that's kind of where that would come in. Lockmore, Castellani obviously going for the double. Kilmacall Croaks going for the double. Nace are going for the double. Um, they're playing Selbridge this weekend. So there's a few doubles uh, definitely on. Dremore versus Cole Island. The Throne final, uh, Lee. A lot of people giving out about the price um, of this. The funny thing about this is that the Throne County Board have made it more expensive to watch it online than to have to go to the match. I like that. Go to the bloody match. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the reasoning behind it. Really, <laughs> it? Like, well, Throne Championship is getting a lot of neutral views online anyway because... Um, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Yeah, everyone's jumping on and I like to think I played a part in that with, with this show and stuff. <laughs> um, but... Like it, like this game, it does it does everything. I I really can't even call it because when it comes to the championship, especially in Drew, and when it's never the same winner again and again, you sort of try to find out like, well, whose story is it? Like who you know who's got the fairy tale behind them? And Dromore, you know, they played from the preliminary round. They they win every game by two points, one point. They talked to Gannon Clark's right to extra time and got over the line against them. They were fantastic against Trillick, who's probably the most consistent team in Drew. Um, and then you think, yeah, it's definitely Dramore's year. But then you look at Cull Island and you look at what they did against Eden Dork, something like, was it 2-1 in an injury time, you know, to pull off a mad uh, sort of comeback. And you would think, God, that's such a miracle to pull off. But then they do an even bigger miracle in the semi-final against Ariel Kieran, scoring three goals in the last eight minutes. And the thing about miracles is if, if you keep doing them, then they're not miracles. That's just actually what you do. You know, that's what they have in their locker. I don't know if it's a bedrock of confidence or they just, you know, 
they've got really brilliant conditioning in the last 10 minutes is when they can really thrive and other teams uh, get slower. Um, but the point is, it, it leads to an absolutely excellent final of two teams that just won't quit. Yeah, they're giving off, it's what, £16 to watch online and £15 to go to the game when it was a lot cheaper uh, throughout the championships. So people are giving off about that. But I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, I'm going to be paying for it anyway and, and watching it. Um, I did a little research on Dramore um, in terms of the McNabs because they've been causing a lot of confusion. Uh, so if you, if you bear with me now, there's four McNabs. Four McNabs, all, yeah, all, four, four McNabs yeah. now in the forwards. Yeah, in the forwards, that's that's sort of me. So you've got Ronan McNabb, and he'd be, he'd be very well known because he played um, for Tyrone for yeah. a little while, and he's called Lizard McNabb, right? Then you have the other Ronan McNabb, and he they call him either Junior because he's four years younger, even though they're not related, or uh, Magpie McNabb. <laughs> and then you've got Sean McNabb, who's known as Stickman McNabb, and Emmett McNabb, who I think was man of the match against Trillick in the semi-final. So he's so good, he gets to retain his birth name. He's just called Emmett. Okay. <laughs> well, so well now, look... just to pull you up on it, Stickman McNabb surely is a dual player, right? I, know, I think it's maybe more of his physique. It's <laughs> 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 where that name came from. But um, if you look at the semi-final lineup, so you had Lizard McNabb at number 12, Stick or Magpie McNabb at number 11, Stickman McNabb at number 10, and Emmett McNabb in number 13. So there should be no confusion going in Sunday. Everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eye out for the McNabs. Pity this isn't on the, the television. Like, I mean, it's Tyrone. Any time a Tyrone match from now on is available to be on television, it should be on again. If they're charging more online at 16 and 15 in, I'm sure the Tyrone County Board don't want it on television. They want it, you know, you don't mm. want as many people at the match. Emmett McNabb, actually, who scored all those points in the semi final, was talking. And just got you get you thinking like he was saying that we we won we went to the wire in the preliminary round against Ardbo we went to extra time against Dangannon Eglish took us to extra time we went all the way against Trillick although they beat Trillick fairly well but it looked dodgy for them after half time he says we know that it's in us we're fit and we're hungry as well like when you when you actually go look at this Niall and we say about this about Tyrone every year but when you break it down Ardbo almost beat the county finalists Dungannon extra time county finalists Eglish. County or extra time to county finalists. Cole Island scraped over Eden Dork. Eden Dork probably would think they should have won that game. Ergil Kieran should have beaten Cole Island. So now you've Cole Island, you've Dromore, you've Ardbo, you've Dungannon, you've Eglish, you have Ergil Kieran. Um, and they're all within a point of each other. And they're not even concluding all the teams that went to extra time with Dungannon in last year's final. You know, and like, I mean, there's no championship like it. Yeah, well, that Dungannon story last year, that was just a. Didn't they go at their first game this year? Went extra time as well. It was, it was like five in a row. They hadn't won a game in sixty minutes in like six games. Like, and yeah. it's just um, I, I think we talked about it before, and we kind of came to the conclusion that they're they're all on a similar sort of a level. And uh, the fact that we hadn't won Ulster now, I'm not sure how happy Lee will be with this, but it kind of says that there's maybe no standout team, and that's the reason why it's so tight. But it definitely adds to the entertainment of it, and the sort of enjoyment because like everyone will be watching that you know there's no team dominating there's no team oh it's going to be boring this year yeah there's always maybe a new team coming and a new storyline and it definitely adds to it no it definitely does and they're all training to win a county title nearly nearly all of them mm. Tipperary Hurling would be pretty competitive you might have four you know four or five which is a pretty good championship so listen I was trying to search when all of um, Emmett McNabb's uh, quotes and I was like alright this is Tyrone there has to be a siege mentality in here somewhere so I was going down through the article I think it was in the Irish News and bang I found it so Emma continues 
We were written off coming into this. He's talking about the Trillic game. We were written off coming into this. There was people talking about who's Trillic going to get in the county final. We had a lot of people to prove wrong. There you go, Lee. Listen, there's always a siege mentality buried somewhere about being written off. Nobody believed in us. And that's how Tyrone continues to wind themselves up. Isn't it incredible? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, first of all, it's an Ulster thing in general, just to have yeah. a chip on the shoulder. And then in Tyrone, like a lot of Tyrone's in mid-Ulster, right in the middle. And then they're the biggest county in the north as well, in the six counties anyway. Um, so they probably just adopt that mentality, um, maybe more so than others. But yeah, it's a very much a Tyrone thing. I mean, they just believe that they, they, they want teams to hate them. They want teams to write them off. They, they want to be the underdog story. They absolutely hate being the favourites. Uh if you were to write a big story or to get someone on and ask Emmett McNabb himself about like how they're the favourites going in against Kalilin, just for example, you know, he'd be cutting you down straight away. Be like, no, 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 no. Like we haven't won it since 2012. They they've got Potty Hamshie, Jerome Captain. They won it in 2018. You know, he'd be straight on the defensive yeah. and bringing it straight back and whatever. But yeah, siege mentality. It's all it's all uh, psychology. You see, Willie, it's really important. <laughs> it definitely. We're on to the leash final. Um, here now, Portlaoise versus Port Arlington. Two big towns. Portlaoise, the biggest town. Port Arlington, just probably the second biggest town. I'm fairly sure it is the second biggest town. They've only met in two finals ever. So this is kind of back to the Nace Sarsfields thing. Like, how has this happened? In the whole history of Leash football, two, the two biggest towns haven't met each other. Um, one of the matches was in the 50s. Port Arlington won. But the last match, uh, the last final they've met in was 1991. And this is kind of a, an interesting... Um, story because it's kind of have similar parallels to now it's kind of like a great Portlaoise team coming towards the end against this new Port Arlington team that won a lot of underage and now we are set to dominate and this is kind of the thoughts at the moment you know the Portlaoise are a bit on the slide like a lot of legendary players have kind of you know finished up younger lads replaced them but they've come back to the pack so it's probably not the team that it was still a very good team (coughs) and still some very good players on it and well capable of beating Port Harrington but the idea now is that Port Harrington are coming to take over from Port Leash now they won it last year and they're favourites to win it this year so bring it back to 1991 Uh, Port Leash were coming uh, off the end of an incredible era in the 80s they won six county titles in Leash they won three Leinsters and they won a club All-Ireland like absolutely legendary players um, you know Leash players Port Leash players at some you know amount of medals to win in the 80s and they won some Leinsters in the late 70s as well by 1991 though they had two 35-year-olds on the team two 34-year-olds on the team and they had eight over 30 altogether. Leash got to the Leinster final in 1991 against Mead and there was no Port Leash player on it which was absolutely be incredible. Port Arlington like I said had won loads of underage um Loads of underage titles in the 80s and they beat Portlaoise in the 1988 uh, championship. So they'd already kind of, you know, shown that they could beat Portlaoise. Then in 1991, Portlaoise were well beaten by St. Joseph's um, in the first round of the championship. And it's like, that's the end of the Portlaoise team, etc. Come to the semi-final, Port Harlington hammer St. Joseph's, who had hammered Portlaoise. You're coming an old, aged Brilliant team in 1991 into the final. Young, energetic, led by Huey Emerson, the great Huey Emerson, Port Harlington team um, into the final. Port Leash not given a chance on all the county medals they had. Still not given a chance. Not against this Port Leash, Port Harlington team that's going to take over. 
Um, Portlaoise won seven points to five. Hopped the shite out of Port Arlington from from uh, from you know stories that you hear. Mick Lillis took Emerson out of it early with a you know uh, you know as a Portlaoise man you say is a you know a brilliant challenge and you know Port Arlington said Jesus right he's going to kill the young lad. <laughs> <laughs> you know this kind of stuff. And Portlaoise ended up winning a low scoring, terribly you know physical game. Um, Seven points to five. Niall Rigney was just young player on the scene for Portlaoise um, in that one. Uh, Niall Rigney probably better known for, for hurling. So fantastic stuff. Likes of Colin Brown, Liam Duggan, Mick Lillis, Carl Lenehan, Jerry Brown, Tom Prendergast, <coughs> Noel Prendergast, all playing for Portlaoise. That's the last county title those lads won. And it was 1999 until Portlaoise won another one. Again, they went through, you know, the breakup of that team and the formation of another team. I'm just, uh, the reason I'm going on about that 91 match, uh, Niall, is because Port Arrington are favourites. They're the young team, up and coming. Portlaoise are seen, you know, as coming back to the pack. Uh, they've been beaten by a few teams they shouldn't have been beaten with. So basically what I'm setting up is for Portlaoise to hop off these lads <laughs> on Sunday and win whatever way they, they can win. Jeez, the the Port Arlington lads would want to be they'd want to be ready for that, like because uh Port like it's Maybe a, I should have said nothing here today. <laughs> <laughs> you're after you're after setting it up here. I'm just disappointed this game isn't on the television. Yeah, yeah. Well, it should it be, shouldn't it? I uh, know, the Tipperary Hurling finals, aren't sure. Where would you be going? But um no, like it's it's great when there's a story like that and the kind of the the symmetry kind of aligns because back to the nineties, between the two teams there's probably a few of them who have like sons playing in this game. Uh, this weekend like and when that rivalry kind of comes up again it's um it's obviously great to see and uh like when you hear about that they kind of that port leash hopped off them and that they kind of sewed it into them like everybody was writing port leash off and this port leash team they're finished and the the young port arlington team then they were beaten that day and I don't know, kind of. You, you have me excited for this game anyway. You've done a job there. They're, they're part this, the, the current thing about this current Port Arlington team, they're not the smallest team in the world, so I'm not sure even sewing it into these lads is the best. Colin Murphy, Robbie Piggott, all these lads, Burnham midfield, all big physical fellas. Um, but still, uh, look, it'll be a great game. Hopefully it'll go, be a good football game. Here's a big one, uh, Lee. Graham Brody is back for Port Leash. And my God, like, I mean, you're talking about in the top five goalkeepers in the country, as far as I'm concerned, kickouts fielding, coming out with the ball, just complete calm presence. And, you know, Graham has had some commitment issues. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, like, he'd been coming and going and, you know, enjoying, you know, the good life and stuff like that and hasn't been committing the way, you know, he should have been. So Michael O'Connell was deputising for him and he's only a young fella, you know, and he's playing in the goals and he was prone to a few mistakes, whether it be, you know, maybe high balls, kick outs when you're under pressure, things like that that can maybe, you know, he'll he'll learn from it and he will be a good goalkeeper. But Graham Brody was back training three weeks before the semi-final against uh, Ballarone and the Portlaoise management went with uh, Michael O'Connell and I was just looking at things and we were talking in the stand. How long's Brody back? He's back three weeks. Why isn't he starting? Why isn't he starting? And it's like, the loyalty to the fella who's, you know, stepped in and has been covering versus the intercount, the, the brilliant intercounty player who hasn't been committing but now is back. I was of the line Brody has to start. Some other lads were like, ah, that's lousy on young Michael O'Connell. And as it turns out, Michael O'Connell was involved in a collision and after six minutes, Graham Brody came on and had an absolutely brilliant game. Isn't it mad how it turned out? I'm just wondering which way you would be lying <coughs> towards the, the loyalty towards to the, the young fella who had stepped in, or one of the top five goalkeepers in the, count, in the country in a county semi-final? 
See, I'd have to be thinking about that. If you have to think of it from a manager's point of view, and then they got to think of next season as well, and what they said at the start of the season, because if you start making promises to players and making uh, arrangements in that, uh, everyone here, you got to go to this preseason, you got to do all these runs. This is all for the, you know, the summer for the championship, but work hard all year, earn your place and you fight for it and you'll get it. People won't just come in and walk over you. So if you start, you know, talking like that and making them sort of promises, and then you turn your back on it next season. You may yeah. lose that young fella in some uh, circumstances. But in this situation, there's just something about a goalkeeper, isn't it? Like it's different. Uh, goalkeepers should be treated differently anyway. The position should be treated differently. The people should be treated differently. And I think there is nothing more. If you have a settled goalkeeper and who's top quality, you're just always in with a chance because there's such a get out of jail card. Um, and as you say, like the problem was sort of solved for him. You mean he was maybe secretly a little bit pleased that he could bring him on I'm sure he was delighted that he had him as an option full stop but um, I think if it was an outfield player you sort of have to go with uh, uh, the young fella who's, who's been really committed and, and um, see it's I mean, there's more options I feel as well you can move things around and maybe get away with it but because it's a goalkeeper I don't know I mean with his experience and stuff and you said you could you could make the point to the young fella that we give you this far into the championship, all this experience, let him finish it off, and then you'll be back in, in the coming years, you know, yeah. or maybe promise him it that way. But it's it's definitely a different situation with, with the keepers. There, there's no right or wrong answer to this, obviously. You yeah. know what I mean? <clears throat> Port Leash management went with that goal. I would have gone with Grim. Because I think there's a hierarchy. And I think that young goalkeeper goes, right, well, look, I've been playing all year. But who's better here? And it's a county semi-final. I, I don't think players' noses are out of joint if they lose out to someone who's way, way, way better than them. Like, you know, I, it's like the Stephen O'Neill coming back for the All-Ireland Final in 2008. He hadn't been there all year. But unanimously, the players put up their hand when, mm. I, when I said, we want him back. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there's a hierarchy mm. there. You're not losing out to someone who's your equal or who's maybe even a bit less. You're losing out to someone who's in the top five goalkeepers in the country. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Sometimes you can overthink maybe about you know, how will the player feel about this? Well, tough look, you know, how the player feels about this, you know, like, I mean, you know, that's the way I'm looking at, that's the way I'd be looking at it. Now, do you want to... Like, would he have been a good club man down through the years, Graham Brody? Like, or how long is he, is he gone for? Like, because if he had been, you know, an extremely committed player, maybe going back, playing for Port Leash for five or six years, you'd be like, right, you know, he's been missing for a while, but he's done enough and he has enough kind of money in the bank that we can... We'll start him here, yeah. but like, what's he been like for Port Leash for the last he'd, while? Ah, he's been he's been coming and going. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the the one intermediate match I played this year, he was coming back for a, for for that to make his comeback with the seniors, and he was going to play midfield. And the manager rang me, says, "Come on, will you come up? We need the we need the numbers." That's why they were asking me to play intermediate. Brody's playing midfield, and you get there, uh, we can't get in contact. <laughs> we can't get in contact with him. So, like, he has been frustrating. You know, that kind of way with the club. But anyways, he's back. I, I'd be very, I'd be amazed if he's not starting the county final, which is a great plus, uh, plus for Portleash. And I'm giving Portleash my tip. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, we don't do predictions on any of these club matches. <laughs> I've just given my prediction. In Offaly, uh, the replay is on with Road and Tullamore. <coughs> big news here for both clubs is players being available. And the big one for Road is Alan McNamee. Um, he's been cleared to play, got the red card obviously after 23 minutes. I've seen this, Niall. Me and you have different opinions on this. I don't think there's that much in this. I don't think it's a red card. I think it's a very strong challenge. <coughs> but I don't think I, I, I don't think it's a straight red card. I think that like, I, I'm convinced that we're all getting very, very soft. And that's not, a, that's not a red card 10 years ago. I don't know why it is now. And I think he would be very unlucky to miss the replay. You thought... You thought that it was a definite red card and that he's lucky to get it to the replay. 
Yeah, maybe I'm a bit softer now or something, but I just thought it was... You're a tip hurler. It wasn't. Tip hurling isn't soft. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was um, I was saying that like it was head on. Like it wasn't shoulder to shoulder. Like you, you well, have he stood to, his you ground. He was sta- Alan McNamee didn't go right or left. He stood his ground. He just stood his ground and took the shoulder as it was coming to him. You know, that's not... Yeah, but he kind of... I don't think he stood his ground now. He kind of right. just ran straight in and nailed your man. And it was kind of front on. And I don't know, I just thought it was uh, as blatant a red card as you'll see, to be honest. Like, and, right. uh, I think he's a lucky man to be back. But... I suppose like Road will obviously be delighted, but Tullamore can't be too happy. I'd say. I, I've, I'm. It's not like I'm uh, trying to help out a buddy here with Alan McNamee. I remember a challenge match against Offaly out in the heat years, years ago. I can't remember what year, and I'd never get into rows on the field. And uh, I ended up the cornerback wouldn't leave, wouldn't it stop annoying me. I ended up me and him <laughs> putting the fists up, and we were going fighting each other. Like, what would couldn't say it was like a, a very skilled fight or anything like that. But remember Alan McNamee coming running mm-hmm. down after me. The size of him, I wanted no part of this <laughs> whatsoever. I just remember, like, I mean, he. He wanted, he wanted blood. <laughs> Did you say you, you were never involved in fights on the field? Very rarely. Really? Jeez, I'm surprised. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when you're, when you're giving lads a few digs here and there with the mouth, it might got you into uh, a Yeah, you'd more. stand in behind one of the big lads then, right? <laughs> that kind of what you do. So, like, I mean, the other bit of uh, news for Tullamore is Cormac Egan. So I think he's back available for selection. Like, this is a weird one. All the reports are saying he has a knock. Um, He's missed the under twenty one. He missed the semi. He missed the first final, uh, the drawn final. He missed an under twenty one county final during the week. He sat that out. And there's talk he's available for this weekend. Lee, it's a very confusing one. Like a, a, you know, apparently he's got. It keep the reports keep saying a knock, and then you read muscle fatigue and he's been overworked and all this kind of thing. I, I, I'm not sure what's actually wrong with him, but I think he's available for selection this weekend. Yeah, it is a strange one. I mean, a knock makes it sound fairly innocuous and in that it's not really that big a deal and maybe something that could be managed. Yeah. But um, he's a huge, huge plus if he is coming. I mean, it makes the game far more exciting even for me because he was the star of that under-20 season, that awfully team. Um, like his pace is frightening. Uh, and even just the hair, the look, and he's so charismatic as well in his interviews and stuff. You know, like everyone's excited. He just excites people. You know, he's everything that's that's... When you think of flair in the GAA, you think of, of young players like him. So, I mean, it's a huge, huge plus. But, like, even the fact that this game's going to the replay, I mean, I didn't make the point last time. I was just wondering why. Like, why did it not go to extra time? Why did it not go to penalties? Because I thought the GAA, they implemented these penalties and stuff due to the COVID last year. And then that rule just hadn't been changed. Because in other counties, like, look at the, the mess in the Antrim semi-final last week or two weeks ago. Um, they played extra, extra time. You know, they were never going to do the replay. So it's a weird one in this situation, especially because the the winners of this go into the preliminary round in Leinster. So they'll be playing Nice the following Sunday. They, they won't have a lot of time to celebrate. Yeah, it, well, it is an interesting one. I think those extra times are up until finals. I think county boards have autonomy over that because the Cavan county final has gone to a replay as well. Mm. So obviously it's whatever the county board decides. You know, maybe they want another payday put in the replay. I think <laughs> until the final they have to end on the day, but maybe they have their own, um, you know, autonomy to decide what they want as regards county final replay. For me, a county, I prefer a county final replay than ending on the day anyways. Yeah, it wouldn't be like them in Cavan looking for the extra payday. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you smiling. <laughs> there is waiting to see what you're I thought you're going to go back to me fighting there or something like, glad you've moved off that the Clare County Final as last County Final uh, we want to talk about Tony Kelly's out got the operation out if like if Ballier beat 
Aina Kilnamona. That's the one. Um, this weekend without Tony Kelly, does it like are you? Does it say much for the Clare Championship? Yeah, oftentimes you'd nearly be guilty when you're looking at Ballier. You'd be guilty of saying that you know this is Tony Kelly's team and Tony Kelly's sort of carrying Ballier yeah. to Clare Championships and Munster Championships. But well, like, he does now. He, but I suppose he when, well. he, when he's not there, maybe other players step up and they're more to Ballier than Tony Kelly. Is like Tony Kelly has been unbelievable for Ballier, but even when he is there, like I remember them beating Turla Sarsfields one day and Tony was unbelievable that day. But like Gary Brennan was brilliant as well. Niall DC was brilliant. Jack Brown is always... Like he's so good for Ballier that like I'm surprised that he hasn't been more of a key man for Clare. And Paul Flanagan is another lad who hurls for Ballier who's on the Clare panel as well. Like, so they do have a really sort of strong and they've strength in depth as well. And like I'd say like for them to win though without Tony Kelly, it would still take it would be some achievement to do it, like, wouldn't it? Because he's clearly the best hurler in Clare. And when you're missing a star man like that, it really takes away from kind of just the kind of the momentum that the team has. So if they were to do it without him, like, geez, it would be some achievement. And it would be some achievement because let's be honest, after I'd say 80% of Ballier games, the headline's Tony mm. Kelly, not Ballier. I'd say, they'll, you know, it'll put the club on the map in a way. Would it, you know, they obviously adore Tony Kelly. Like, I mean, he's, Tony Kelly's, I'd say, the best hurler in the country, pound for pound. To win it without him, then it's Ballier. You know, it's not about Tony Kelly. Yeah, isn't Tony so stylish, though, that whenever he scores a point, it's kind of Tony gets the headline straight away. And, like, in fairness to Niall DC and Gary Brennan, like, they've been doing it consistently for Ballier as well. Like, I think it's yeah. just Tony's such a... He's such such flair and such yeah, kind of the flair, brilliance yeah. about him that he kind of kind of commands the headlines there in Clare. But, yeah, I suppose it is, it is a sign that the Clare Championship isn't as strong as maybe like it should be for a county that is so like so big into hurling because like apart from Ballier I can't remember too many other Clare clubs doing too well in the Munster Championships no, or Ireland Championships Six Mile Bridge have gotten to uh, final, uh, the odd final maybe or something yeah, but never but really even made. when they won in recent years they didn't do they were knocked out fairly early in Munster as well weren't they like, yeah so. they usually are other, yeah. other than Ballier winning it they haven't won it you know another club hasn't no. won it in a good way uh, quickly as a hurling person <coughs> Niall DC seems to have all the attributes to I think he hurled up in Parnells for a year he has all the attributes to be in the county hurler size he takes the freeze you don't take the freeze if you're not very very accurate he's good in the air what, what, what's what's he missing there? He was in on the panel for a couple of years. Yeah, and he's clearly like a very kind of player for the big moments as well because I remember a few games, Ballier often on TG Cahar, but there was one day they played um, Bally Gunner and he scored, it was a really wet day and he scored a free from, I think it was six, around 60, 65 metres out and like it was last puck of the game, he had to score. He did the same in extra time. like So he's he's not like short of character or anything like that. He's big, he's a good man to catch puck outs, he's extremely accurate. Maybe lacking a small bit of pace, maybe, for the county game. That would be the only thing that could spring to mind. But yeah. I know he's had a few runs with Clare, like in Munster League and stuff like that, maybe a bit in the National League, but never really nailed the place down. And it is surprising, like yeah. given how well he hurts for Ballier. He does, yeah, because like Peter Duggan wouldn't be blessed with pace. When you have a paw, you don't yeah. need pace if you're accurate, I suppose. When you don't build your game around pace, maybe he'll he'll be back in um, this year. Other bit of news here, Lee, is, um, well, Jesus, this Jim McGuinness thing, like, I mean, this was a story, and it was a story, it was a story on day one, um, Jim McGuinness is in advanced talks. Uh, more to follow tomorrow. Jim McGuinness is set to... Or first, I thought Jim McGuinness is going to be the down manager. Then he's going to be a coach under Conor Laverty. And then on day three, the story ended because the Irish Times... Uh, Keith Duggan, obviously, 
you know, ghostwrites Jim McGuinness's article and he'd obviously have a very co- strong connection there. And Jim McGuinness has said, over the course of the winter months, a number of county teams have been in contact with me with a view to managers, jobs and coaching roles. I spoke with all of them because I do love coaching and out of respect, really. You're, given, uh, you're going to listen to what someone has to say. And I told them all the same story, that I'm very much focused on soccer at the moment and I'm waiting to see what might happen um, or, or I'm waiting to see what might happen or what not happen at the end of the season. I don't know what that sentence is. Anyways, you get the gist of what he's trying, what he's trying to say. Um, so that was it. Story day one, story day two, done and dusted day three. Let's move on. Yeah, honestly, I mean, every now and again, when things are a bit slow, you just throw Jim McGuinness. He's, he's always going to be the Dundalk <laughs> manager. He's going to be now the down manager. And then, you know, it gets a bit of hype for a little while and it dies dying. But, as soon as they're at it, it was just sort of like, mm, I don't know, I can't really see it. Especially the news that he was going to be part of a coaching team with two very young managers in, in Conor Laverty and, and Marty Clark's meant to be involved as well. Um, I just, you know, Jim strikes you as the kind of person that would need full autonomy. You know, his training sessions, the way he wants to play it and the decisions are made to him finally. I couldn't imagine <laughs> him being part of a, or working under someone. But so, so that was my... Um, I was skeptical of it from that from the beginning, but yeah, then it was just a it was a no story anyway. It was just I mean a source understands that he's in talks, and then apparently he wasn't because Jim himself said there that it, in the winter months he talked to a lot of teams. But I mean, was that does that last winter or is he counting now? We're going into winter. I mean, and they just got in touch with him. I'm not sure. I, I it's it was a non-story really. Yeah, the reason I thought it was just a strange one is that, like, I mean, when it, when I heard manager, I was like, mm, in, yeah, that's a strange one, but I could you know, semi-believed that. But then I thought he's going in as a coach under Conor Laverty. I was like, there's no way he's going in as a coach. Jim McGuinness, if he, I was thinking then he's going in as a coach because he can't time, you know, commit fully to managing a team. He's going <laughs> in as a coach. Why would he choose the seventh best team in Ulster? I'm sure if Jim McGuinness wanted to coach any county in the country, they would want him to coach them. Do you know what I mean? Maybe barring Dublin, you know, every other county would want them to coach them. And that's because Dublin wouldn't really, you know, be bringing in outsiders. Um, so it's like, why would he choose to coach Down, who, you know, are way down the list for his, for his own reputation? No no offence to Down or anything. Um, and then, as it turns out, it's still a strange one with McGuinness, though, because, like, I mean, he's been, he's been pursuing this soccer thing for a good few years now. You know, like, I mean, he's, he's going on close on 10 years and it doesn't seem to be progressing. If anything, it seems to be going backwards. And I know you ha- a lot of time you have to go backwards to go forwards again, but he's 49, 50 now. And I suppose he, he'd he want to start making waves soon enough because if he keeps having experience in soccer, but it's not experience of winning, I think the, he's with the Derry under-17s now. I think they had a good year. But in the wider scheme of co- context of soccer and where he wants to go, like, you know, the Derry under-17s, you know, he, the point I'm making is that he, there was a lot of money in inter-county management and, you know, I think that's where he should be looking at. Yeah, like I'd say the down, the down job is nearly bigger than the Derry under-17s if you're, if you're looking at it that way. Like the, I would say so, only he's <laughs> fo- still following this dream and this journey that he likes to, you know, say that, you know, that he's on. But for me, he should be just coming back to GEA. Yeah, and definitely as a manager, like as... Like you, you could see him kind of the kind of the talk was that he was going to come in as a coach, like but you could only nearly imagine that as something similar to what he did with Galway last year, kinda of coming in for a little guest session here and there. Yeah. But you'd imagine if he was kind of full time part of like the management team that he would be the manager, like because you know, he's been around for so long and he knows 
like he's the boss like basically like and he, he he deserved to be the manager like if if he wanted to be so I wouldn't see why he'd want to be a coach yeah no me neither and anyways Conor Laverty's a very good very good uh, choice for down one way or another forget about that's kind of overshadowed Conor Laverty's like oh McGuinness is involved that's the story yeah forget about Conor Laverty's getting it Laverty's obviously Kilku um, and Kilku are notorious for not committing to the county setup. Um, you know, you've got the Johnson brothers who come and go. You have Daryl Brannigan, which is a head scratcher who doesn't seem to want to play for down at all. And the year they got to the All Ireland final, he's a sensational halfback. So I suppose from a down point of view, um, Lee getting everybody involved, especially the best team in the county for the last ten years, Conor Laverty ticks that box, and he's a very good up and coming coach as well, and loves down. You know, and all, all those other qualities. Yeah, like he, he knows down like the back of his hand, you know. I mean, he got some uh, county experience as well under it was with Monaghan, and then he got the under twenty job with the yeah. Down team, led them to an Ulster title. Um, bringing the Kilku players on would be a huge, huge benefit to them. I mean, them players are something else, and they've got a really tight bond, and they're almost like club before county that sort of mentality, and that's great, you know, because they're winning things. But if you can get the best of both of them and, and make the county successful as well, he's definitely. The, the gateway sort of man to do that now that'll come with its own issues as well you know i mean in terms of oh he's favoritism towards kilku players and things like that but really big picture uh having them players is a huge huge benefit it's it's much more a plus than it, it ever will be a con um and it's sort of similar to like if, if you remember like when joe kernan became manager at rma a lot of cross mclean players weren't really interested in playing for rma and he had to drive Francie Biello himself to the training because he kept saying he would come and he just wouldn't show up and then he he landed at his door and he was uh, Francie Biello opened the door ready to get dinner um, as Ma's dinner and uh, Joe Kernan was standing there and he was like get in the car we're going to our match and you know and he managed to get him out the door and then like the rest is history look what he went on to do and look how successful the county was in that year <coughs> so I mean not to overstate it obviously or oversell it but like it is important to get your best club players playing for your county it's nearly the whole point of it really so I mean you can see it only as a progressive and, and positive move uh, from a down point of view McGuinness or not Yeah completely agree last bit of news here is Ger Brennan our very own Ger Brennan here on the show has left Carlo to manage Moorfield um, so I just saw this ha- this kind of broke <coughs> last night so he's in with uh, Niall Carew as Carlo coach um, and uh, he's gone in to manage Moorfield I was just wondering like I mean which is a bigger job um, is coaching an inter-county Division 4 team or managing a pretty big club team? Which, you know, for me, he's promoted himself as manager. You were thinking more of the inter-county line now, were you? Yeah, it's a tough one in fairness. Um, like, Moorfield had a, they had a disappointing year this year. I think it was the quarterfinal they went out on. So And last year had a disappointing year. They hadn't won it. They lost the final last year, yeah. Yeah, so I suppose Jer like when they're like when Jer when see when he sees that job, he's like, right, this is a, you know, it's obviously a big challenge because maybe some people might think Moorfield are past it a small bit, and he's like, right, you know, like it's obviously a big challenge to see if he can bring them back, and Moorfield are such a big club in Kildare as well, like they're probably the main club in Kildare, um, being in Newbridge there, so like it's um, I don't know, it's a tough one, inter inter county division four or a club team. I suppose you're yeah as a manager like you like you're the boss like and maybe that's what he's he's looking for like when you're just a coach I'd say at times it can be frustrating when you're trying to when there's so many lads around trying to kind of but implement their ideas but the manager is the boss like so 
maybe he just wanted to see how he goes as manager. I don't think he has been a manager before. No, I th- well, I think that's it. It's, I mean, if your long-term ambition is to be a coach, stay coaching. But if it's to be manager, you get an opportunity, I suppose, Lee, to manage you know, a pretty prestigious club whether it's on the slide or not you know you still wrangle another county title out of them and now you're on now you're on the managerial merry-go-round you'll, you'll have a job for the rest of your life um, around the country if you win one county title as a manager you will never be without a job you'll get a job in some county 80 quid a night minimum and you're you're on that gravy train yeah no exactly I mean wh- which job's bigger you sort of just ask yourself well which one carries more responsibility you know when Carlo lose do they, do they look at your Brennan and think that's that's on him, you know. You know, it's split a lot more, um, in terms of the blame or whatever. But uh, when he's the manager, and it's his club, and he he's the one in charge, then you know, like the buck stops with him. So that, therefore, it's it's more responsibility, and in my head, that makes it a bigger job. But then it means when they have success, you know, more of the praise goes towards him as well. And then it's like you say, now he's on that managerial go around. Um, he can say like to me, if you were looking, I don't know what his end game is. Maybe he's hugely aspirational, and, and the Dublin job could be in his head like in ten years' time. And that would be the dream job, I'm sure. But like, if you're wanting to build a CV from scratch, he's now got you know county experience as a coach. He'll now have managerial uh, experience at, at senior football, and you know hopefully win something. Um, that, that's you know that's that's pretty impressive already in like his first two three years, um, and bulking out that CV and going forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd be more of the management thing as well. And obviously, his analysis on the GER is putting himself in the shop window for all these jobs. Just where are where are all my offers? He's taking all the boxes, <laughs> that man, isn't where, he? Where, where are my job offers? Uh, that's what I want to know. Right, we'll leave it there and we'll come back with Niall Corcoran. So usually when a manager leaves a county, his whole backroom team get the chop. But not my next guest. He was brought into Wexford under Davy Fitzgerald um, as a coach and he's continuing on under Dara Egan. It's Niall Corcoran and he joins us on the line now. How's it going, Niall? Great, Willie. All good now and yourself? So you, you, you must be... I'm very good. I'm very good. You must be very good, good to have avoided the chop then, uh, Niall. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure whether... <laughs> they might have been stuck for a coach. Uh, yeah, delighted to be back there, to be honest. Um spent the year with Davy and really enjoyed it to be honest learned a, a huge amount from Davy. and uh, when Dara picked up the phone to see if I was interested in staying on um, I was delighted to be honest that gotten to know the lads and um, had enjoyed work with them so uh, and I kind of had kind of known Dara a bit from his time in Dublin so uh, yeah like really looking forward to the the challenge ahead and and uh, 2022 and hoping uh, it's a successful year. So so that's the thing. Like I mean, I'm wondering. I haven't spoken to Dara on the show here yet, so like I don't want to steal his thunder or anything like that. But like, I know, like from your coaching with Leash, and then you went and met Davy. And I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. There would be a lot of similarities in the running game and the sweeper. You know, under Eddie Brennan and maybe under Davy. And you and Davy hit it off on the phone call. Um, when you spoke, so your philosophies were fairly aligned. You know how how's how's that with Dara? Yeah, um, to be honest, we we, we haven't uh, chatted in depth around maybe style of play. We've kind of just uh, talked about maybe the the group of players in Wexford and maybe where, where they need to go. So, uh, but I look from the initial chats I've had with Dara uh, and look at it, looking at the work he's done with Tipperary, uh, Woolley. Um, you know, I think I think we'll work very very well together. He's a he's a he's a young manager and a young coach, and um, you know has been involved in the game as a player and and as a coach, and has been quite successful. So uh, I'm really looking forward to to learning off him, to be honest, and and hopefully maybe you know I can uh, contribute to as well 
um, as the season goes along. So how does it work as a coach? I'm always interested um, in this, like, you know, when you go in with Eddie or when you go in with, with Davey, like, are you just taking instructions or is this something you trash out together, you know, in meetings? Yeah, it was, uh, again, it, I suppose the answer is it depends. With Under Eddie, it was very much a, a collaboration with, with, with Tommy, Eddie, myself, and then and then Fran, when he was there on the first year, we, we, we discussed maybe what what the coaching plan might look like. Uh, uh, and uh, I suppose I would have taken the role of maybe designing uh, the plan uh, and maybe implementing in part, mainly along with, along with Tommy. In, in Wexford, I suppose I joined a coaching team. And to be fair to Davey, um, he had some you know brilliant people involved with Saoirse, with JJ, with Keith, uh, with Pat Bennett and Mags and, and people like that. So kind of you join a coaching team and the way Davey worked was you'd meet before training, maybe an hour and a half, two hours, and you discuss maybe what the session plan like look like uh, might look like. Obviously, you'd have ideas in your head in, in terms of what what might be needed or what might work and then to be trashed out among the coaching team and then uh, roles and responsibilities would be would be given out uh, before the session so people knew exactly uh, what they were doing, what the messages uh, were and, and how, how we needed uh, to get them across. So yeah, I suppose two quite different experiences but obviously two very, very positive experiences at the same time. Right, and you, usually you're you're kind of looking after the, the, the defence or, you know, like, I know Tommy Fitzgerald was kind of coaching the forwards or doing stuff with the forwards and how, you know, because all, it all has to marry together at the end, I suppose, doesn't it? At those, yeah, it's really important that that kind of there's communication uh, between between the coaches uh, because the, our messages have to be aligned. And uh, yeah, with, with Leisha looked after a lot of defending and, and Tommy took the forwards. And, and I, I think similarly with Wexford this year, I'll probably do a lot of work with the defenders. And I think Woody Cleary's in there too. And, and I'll be working with Willie on, on, on maybe the overall session plan. Uh, as Willie works with the forwards, and I think that there has to be joined up thinking. Um, if 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 I'm going, uh, doing my bit with the defenders and the forwards are doing their their thing, and then we're expecting them to to gel as a unit, I, I think it doesn't it doesn't work. So, I think that the collaboration with the coaches is extremely important, and I think uh, I think for that to happen, you have to obviously you have to have open honest communication and uh, the ability to work with to work with other people. To be honest. Yeah, I think like I mean the old the old fashioned thing was you know you'd go take the backs and another take the forwards and one midfielder the defensive midfielder would go with the backs and the attacking one would go yeah. forward. I suppose now the game is all that middle third is all mashed together that from number five to number twelve nearly all have the same you know the same functions and skill sets. Yeah, and the way the way the game is going, I think you have to be adaptable, and you could see with you know I suppose my time involved with Leash and my time at Wexford that you know whether you're a corner back or corner forward, you have to be able to to defend and attack, and and I, and I think you know the middle third uh, is crucially important in that when you have your obviously your half backs and your half forwards and your midfielders and, and the role that they play. Um, and you know for, for that to work, uh, there, there's lots of discussion, lots of talking points, uh, kind of clarity and roles and responsibilities in terms of maybe what's expected of players, and you know creating that kind of environment where you know players can can um, express themselves. And I, I I think one of the I suppose one of the beauties about I suppose playing the playing that as it calls the plus one or, or the sweeper uh, is that it, it allows maybe. A cornerback to take to take more chances and to, and to go and express express themselves, knowing that there's a maybe a safety net there. And I I even know from a time with Leash that we had a lot of really good pl- ball carriers, and 
I think I think we use those runners out or in the middle third to kind of um, express our way of playing and express express our strengths. So, like, it really depends on on, on the group of players you have and maybe uh, what works for them, I suppose. Yeah, well, if if you want a running game, playing an extra defender to to get that emotion makes perfect sense. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. a very clear logic to that. Yeah, and and there's there's times there's times you do that, and uh, again there was times at Wexford where we where we'd have pushed up uh, and and played a played a fifteen on fifteen. There were you know times where you might have played different formations in the forwards uh, to try and maybe create space uh, uh, and get get certain forwards uh, in, in into the game. And and you know I think it depends on the opposition too. So if you're playing. You know, if you're playing a, a Limerick, for example, um, and you, you want to make sure that that you're defensively solid, and also that uh, when you have possession, that you have the ability to use possession and use it well um, in games like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Limerick because, like, I mean, this is the head scratcher of they've got such a a clear, you know, game plan and a well coached style of play that it's very, very difficult. You know, to come up with a system. Yeah. I always thought that Wexford's sweeper system was suited to them because your whole half back line can mark their men, and that's always the conundrum with, you know, do we leave Keen Lynch to run free? You know, so your whole half back line marks. You have the spare man covering Galan and Flanagan, and let's be honest, no matter who plays Limerick, they always free up Declan Hannan anyway. So, like, I mean, you're just pretty much giving them that anyways. Yeah, that they're they're very assured in how they play, um, and they're, they're they're also very adaptable as well. Like with, with the players they have, they can you know you, we saw how Kyle Hayes has seemingly seamlessly moved from centre forward to wing back, and how Keane Lynch can can play midfield in the half forward line and, and guys like that. So I, I I think their adaptability is a huge strength of theirs. Like how would you go about dismantling that? Look, it's again the sweeper system is 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 a way of doing that. Um, but it, it does open up a huge amount of space if you're, for example, in Crow Park, if you're uh, if you're trying to cover that amount of space and you've people like uh, Aaron Galan or Peter K- Peter Casey inside who who just um, who can just really maximise that space. Um, you know, my I suppose my philosophy is that is that I suppose being a defensive coach and structurally that we that that we minimise space between our. Our, our full backs and our half backs, and that maybe you, you might play a high a high half forward line, and then it's about using the ball well when we have possession um, and creating space inside. So you're in a way you're nearly mim- mimicking what Limerick do, but you know what the, Lim- the advantage of Limerick have what is we all know is that they've they've hugely physical and athletic players, uh, players who can cover ground and and they're absolutely brilliant in the tackle, especially around the middle third. And I think when you're going to go up against a team at Limerick, you have to be you know aware of, aware of their strengths. Well, here, here's another question because we've talked about this on the show is that I was suggesting to your old teammate Damien Hayes that the two <laughs> cornerbacks actually mark Galan and Flanagan on the outside because they both like to break you know out into all that space now Damien laughed at me and went you know that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard I mentioned it to Paul Murphy and he he kind of alluded the fact that himself and Joey Holden tried that out as they're crisscrossing you know they actually stay where they are and the boys kind of run towards them like I mean is that something because like I mean it's very obvious that Limerick are leaving huge space on the two wings for these two lads to break out to and if you're marking from behind you're kind of playing into their hands yeah it's a it's 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 a great question and I remember even it's a chat we had uh in my time with Leash uh and we talked uh Eddie had talked to the cornerbacks about setting up that way and I think I think there's merits to it but but there's huge risks in terms of uh, when you look at, the, I suppose, the movement inside of of uh, of 
players like Galan, Peter Casey, you know, Patrick Corgan, top, top forwards, uh, you know, I think that's definitely a risk. And, and if the ball does come in, I think, you know, they have, they can go on the inside, but I think they still have that opportunity to, to, to run, to run laterally across the pitching game possession. So I'd, I'd certainly be of, of, of a kind of a preference for maybe uh, dropping, dropping our half back line deeper to cover that space and, and, and using our midfield and half forwards to really, uh, cut out the, the distribution um, from the Limerick halfbacks or, or, for, or from any opposition halfback line. Um, I know as a cornerback myself, if I, was, if I would have been standing on the, on the outside of Richie Power, for example, in Crow Park, <laughs> uh, I, would have been, I would have been a nervous few minutes, to be honest. Well, that, that's, that's, a, that's why Damien was laughing at me, because I suppose you, you, like a, a player will figure that out and yeah. instead of running out into the space, he'll just run up the middle and he'll have that yeah. yard. You know, I suppose like that's that's the risk. Maybe that's where the sweeper comes in. I don't, I don't know. You're, you're, I'm asking you your advice here. I, yeah. I don't have to. <laughs> I'm not saying I have the answers either, by the way, but anyway, <laughs> we can figure it out here. Yeah. It's funny with Limerick though, because they seem to—I don't know—they just seem to tick so many boxes that, like, you're running out of analysis because you hold your half back line, their half forward line runs them up because that changeover is very hard to get right where your half half forward line gets back. Their half back line then, you know, gets dominant, so that maybe doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Then you try the sweeper; they, they, they seem to figure it all out. Yeah, I was re- I was really impressed, with, and I suppose I suppose it's down to the coaching they've been exposed to as well, and and uh, the likes of Paul Kinnerk and his coaching team, and I suppose John Kiley's a manager and the way he's, he's managed the whole setup, and um, I was watching them against Cork in that final, and you know on the Cork pokeouts their half back line just just held and sat, and as the Cork half forwards were making those diagonal diagonal runs, the the the, the Limerick guys just trusted trust, trusted their structure and trusted their Dermot fielders to be there. Uh, to pick up those breaks, so and, and I think when you speak, you know that, that doesn't happen by accident. That's been that's been worked on and worked on on the training pitch, and I know that you know Paul is a fan from from listening to him speak around scenario based coaching, and there's no doubt in my mind that they've been put in those situations again and again uh, at, at training, and I, I think that's that's where coaching needs to go to. Uh, I'm certainly a fan of, of when, when you're designing sessions. Well, what's the purpose? How does it fit? How does it fit into the context of the game? And I, I got a great piece of advice from a friend of mine, uh, Ed Ed Collin in Cork, when I when I was getting involved with Leash around around session planning and session design. And he said, make sure it's it's, it's specific uh, to demands of the game, and make sure that there's context to what you're doing. And uh, and it's something that, that I've always brought with me. And you can see from those Limerick guys that you know go back to your original point that they can figure it out. They can figure it out because they've been put in those situations yeah. again and again on, on the on, on the on the training pitch. So I'd say it'll be a fascinating uh you know watch watching them watching them train uh, in Limerick uh, night after night. Yeah, you'd never get in, you see, that's the thing. No, that's it. <laughs> but here's the I had Kinnerk on the show. Um I really like him. And mm-hmm. You know, I'm always interested in coaching because coaching so broad. You have some coaches who might be the fitness coach and they'll get you fit and they'll do some drills. And then you have other coaches that like to, you know, individually coach a defender. You know, your foot ro- works wrong. You need to be tighter. And Canark told me he doesn't do any individual coaching. Like, I mean, you know, it's, mm. it's, he loves, he likes coaching the game plan. And maybe like you're saying, yeah. the snar- like they're so, uh, what I always think what players are crying out for is a game plan. So many teams have been on. We didn't really have one. We kind of played and got, you know, yeah. Kind of bluff through it, and and players played the way they were strong at and good at, and if that married together, this was fantastic. And if it didn't, you know, you didn't have much of a game plan. But he, ha- I always remember players. What's our plan A or plan B in this kind of thing? 
players want a game plan and if you're able to coach a game plan and players know what it is it won't always mm. work out like that but for the most part they know what the game plan is I don't know like I mean from mm. a coaching point of view how much is game plan how much is individual how much is it you know at making the training fun yeah I think again again I suppose it, it depends but the game plan is really important because what it gives players is confidence yeah. confidence in what, in what they're doing and that we have a plan that, that we've worked on this and now we can go and try and execute it if it doesn't work we can we can revisit it and we and we can adjust it and tweak it but at least we're working out with something in place and I know as a player myself having when I've had those game plans or when when our team has had those plans that it's just brought huge confidence and, and a purpose about what we're about. I think I think the individual stuff is is really interesting. Um, you know, from again, from just from my I suppose my little experience at the intercounty level, but from a coaching perspective, uh, I think uh, the 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 individual work can go uh, unnoticed a lot, but players can take that away with them maybe outside of the session or before a session where you get a chance to speak to a player and do 10, 50 minutes on footwork or on tackle technique, or maybe they want to work on, on an aspect an aspect of their of their shooting. Um, but I, I think when you're looking at the session, and I'm designing a session plan, for example, I always look at, well, what, can we put the majority of the time into into developing, developing our strengths? Uh, a bit of the time in into developing the weaknesses but really looking at ways to impose our strengths on uh, on opposition because at the inter-county level Willie, you can't you're, you're getting players who are who are ready made you, you know the, the, the real learning uh, development of a player takes place maybe when they're when they're a child or when they're at youth uh, and i think when they come to inter-county level yes you can make subtle improvements but they're 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 ready made and i think it's how you use their strengths uh, in in the context of a game plan, I think it's what as a coach you're really looking to do. Um, the enjoyment factors is always huge because, you know, even even thinking back this year with with, with the Wexford lads and looked some of the sing songs and the crack at training and, and my time you know with Leash and um, I think Eddie was brilliant at that at bringing the crack to training and and having the jokes and uh, and maybe you know bringing that kind of fun element uh, into the session. I think that's always something that uh, certainly as a coach you can't forget because if it if it's all if it's all working no play no players players are, are human beings they're very very quickly get get round off i suppose yeah no and they're very well educated as well i saw you saying you had a uh, in an interview players are more educated they've higher standards and expect more from the coach um yeah you know and you know, you said you have to bring players along, bring them on board, and ask them their opinions. And I suppose there's a a, a fine line of getting this right because if you're always asking them their opinions, they'll think you don't know what you're talking about. Whereas if you don't, you're yeah. a know-all. And then, you know how and how do you even deal with players that kind of pull you up on things or want to know more, you know, or or question yeah. maybe what you're doing? Like it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question. Like to some players, I'm finding that just 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 they're saying to you, look, tell me what to do. I just don't just tell me what to do, and I'll go and do it. To some players who like to express their own ideas and thoughts and, and talk to you about them, um, and then there's I suppose some players who have kind of who believe that there's, that there's one way of playing the game, and usually there are players who kind of who are looking to maximize their own strengths. Yeah. Um, but it's about getting trying to get those players to. To, to still do that but fit into the i suppose the the whole structure of, of the game plan or, or promoting the strengths of the group so yeah it's it's funny I, I i certainly think that that players as you said are more educated they're talking to their their peers in college in work they know kind of what other counties are, are doing and 
um, they also have a, have have a, a, a huge interest in improving themselves, and no doubt they're looking at ways to do that. So I think I think as a coach, you have to you have to allow them um, a voice in, in the session and a voice in terms of their own development. Uh, and I remember I remember even with the leash thing before before the clear game uh, in Nolan Park in that championship game, we we kind of were, were having a huge issue on our long puck out and. I think you know, Ender Roland would have a huge input in terms of um, the puck out strategy and what's working because ultimately he's he's the man in possession yeah. and he's the man who sees it. Uh, but but what, what we we got kind of our midfielders and half forwards together and we kind of had a discussion around maybe how how we might improve uh, the long puck out strategies because uh, you know I didn't really have the answers. Tommy didn't have the answers already, so we we had an input from players to what what might work. And the players went away for a couple of days uh, and came back with some ideas. And we worked on them. We worked and worked on them over the two weeks before the clear game. Uh, and they really worked out. Uh, there was players, you could, and you could see players who kind of take the lead in that and who bring other players along. And I think that's a much better way than actually telling players, we're going to do this and I don't want any questions about it. And players not really believing in it. Because if, 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 that's, if that's the route you're going down, well, then look, it, it is going to fall apart. But sometimes if players feel they've input and they've ownership, they also feel they have a responsibility to go and make it work. And I think that that's a powerful tool you can use as a coach. I, I think the breaking ball is a great one because I can relate to that from a football point of view. I remember yeah. the same thing asking, because breaking ball is very, very difficult. But if you're playing the half forward line or the half back line, nobody has a more unique view of of what's happening there because like, all players have their own player cams on the manager is trying to watch everything so like <laughs> you actually get like what from your perspective uh, in that position what are you seeing you know for yeah. me that's that type of stuff is invaluable from from players yeah it's massive and, and a, a, re, a really valuable coaching it has been the video analysis like the the performance analysis where you're where you're where you're giving the opportunity to players to look back at their own performance or maybe discuss uh, discuss situations around as you mentioned the breaking ball you know what were you thinking there what did you see so you know players can become aligned in their thinking and can 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 I suppose bring a bit more cohesion to what they're doing, and uh, you know we use a lot of the, a lot of the video analysis um, from a coaching perspective uh, to try and um, I suppose bring that information from players and and bring that coherence to what we're trying to do. Right, you must be tired of coaching because you're a games development officer yeah. with, <laughs> as well <laughs> on, on top of it. Like I, I always say, like I talk about GEA here on the show. I don't want to train a team. I've been driven demented talking about GEA all day. You're a games development officer too. It's kill, with Kilmacud, isn't it? Yeah, it's with Kilmacud there. I'm actually there now, 16 years, so it's a long time now. Willie uh, kind of arrived up there from uh, East Galway, uh, a big rural part of East Galway, into the big city, uh, into Kilmacroaks, and uh, it was certainly a shock, a shock to the system, but... Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a been a brilliant experience for me, and I've certainly changed my whole coaching approach and coaching style. And I suppose the beauty about you know um, the role is that you get a chance to work with different people. You're you're working with young players in schools. You're working with um, adults around coach education. Yeah, uh, you're you're working with kind of youths around if you're r- running uh, transition year programs. And then I'm getting the opportunity to work with kind of inter county athletes and 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 coaches and managers as well. So. I suppose variety, variety in in the in the job is really important, and uh, you know I, I'm certainly getting that from 
um, from the job with, with Dublin G and Crooks. I, d- I think the, the important thing with games development officers and, and why they're so important and valuable is that you'd probably be doing a bit of coaching in the schools, but within the club, you're getting the right people involved in teams, probably a bit of persuasion may be needed <laughs> at, at times, and then you're coaching them, you're giving them you know valuable advice, so you're getting much better coaches and, you know, a, a normal club that doesn't have that games development officer, you know, you, I see it in my own club, you're kind of asking a lad, he says no, and then you're moving on, you end up with someone that, you know, might have been well down on your list. Yeah, you're dependent, you're hugely dependent on volunteers. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I think that can be, you know, that can bring advantages, but also disadvantages, particularly from a coaching perspective. If the edu- education isn't there to, to really, to properly develop players, or if the volunteers have no sounding boards, and a lot of the time I'm just used as a sounding board in the club. A mentor might ring me up or might meet me for a coffee and say, look, I'm having this issue. What do you think? Or uh, will you take a session? Uh, and Or maybe there's an issue with a particular age group or two age groups around, you know, it could be an aspect of coaching practice around tackling or around striking. And, uh, you know, uh, I can use, uh, you know, I can, I, I can run a workshop for those coaches. So there is a huge advantages to to maybe having, having somebody like myself or, or my colleague, Park McDonald, who looks after the football side of things, uh, in the club to kind of to support coaches, and really, it, really, my job is is is, the, is is to support volunteers, not to take over. And I, I even see it in you know my own club down in Milik Airport in, in East Galway. I think you know that that resource maybe is not there. Maybe it's not as freely accessible, really. And I think volunteers at times are left to their own devices, and maybe they're not sh- not sure what to do. And I think. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that needs to be looked at also. It does. Before I let you go, um, we were reading, there's only one dual player between, you kill McCud obviously going for the double. It, like, it, do they promote the yeah. dual or is it like two separate clubs within one? Yeah, no, they, 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 promote, they promote the dual. I suppose when, when, I, uh, when I came to the club first, there was you know, probably a, a clear distinction around you know, you're on the hurting side of the house or you're <laughs> on the football side of the house. But that's, you know, thankfully that's all changed now. And, and uh, kind of one, one of the things... That, one of the initiatives that we've done to try and bring about that changes is having a a joint nursery so before it used to be a separate hurling nursery and a separate football nursery now when parents come in that to get a, uh, their kids get a chance to play both within the same hour hour and a half uh, and when you're recruiting volunteers you know they're, they're they're coaching both games now there's no distinction between are you a hurling coach or a football coach yes you'll have volunteers who might have played more gaelic football or played more hurling and, and they might prefer that but they, certainly, a lot of our, our volunteers now are coaching both and are promoting both codes, and I think, I think that that's 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 become you know really valuable because you know we are we are one club and we are striving to 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 push that one club model, and I I think if you're if you're if if you're if you're trying to fight for players within your own club, uh, I think it makes no sense because we, we have enough of competition with rugby and soccer and other sports in South Dublin to to attract the attention of, of our players so I think it's important that we uh, we, 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 keep, we we keep striving towards that one club model I suppose Yeah so as games development offers you don't have to mediate between rows between the hurling manager and the football, and the football mm. manager <laughs> there, there's, there's, that, there's, there's committees that sort it out Come here I've taken up enough of your time Niall thanks very much for taking the call and uh, best of luck with Wexford and, and with Dara looking forward to seeing what you come up with Appreciate it thanks Willie thanks for having me on Great stuff from Niall there. Um, We'll leave it there for today. We'll be back on Monday and we'll review all the county finals as usual and we'll talk to somebody from one of the games. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck.
no such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey eat eat a donkey eat a palace. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, built. But I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 